What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I am super fired up. In season four, we're going to mix in some different types of shows, and today we're going to introduce our first presenter for the 24, 2024 Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, and that is no other than Auburn's Cam Joss. Cam. I'm so fired up to have you as part of the docket. I'm super stoked that we get to sit down and catch up today, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. And I really appreciate this opportunity, the opportunity to not just come on the podcast, but also to present at the Central Virginia Sports Performance Seminar. I told you not too long ago when we were talking how that was the first, really the first main sports performance seminar that I followed as a as a student really in my senior year of college when I was really trying to dive into all the stuff I could find on sports performance whether it was presentations or literature or practitioners and that was really the one-stop shop for me at the time was was that seminar and I remember purchasing the video bundles and (laughs) I, I actually never attended the seminar in person but I got a lot of the virtual uh, products that were that came out of them, and so it was it was huge for my education. And so just to be a part of it now is an incredible honor, and uh, it's amazing how things come full circle sometimes. And just being able to connect with you and and be a part of the whole thing is incredible for me. So thanks so much. You know, I appreciate the kind words, brother. You know, and I think that really when we talk about Cam in the world of performance, you know, you've, you've done a great job of sharing information, especially back that summer of 2020 when things were really crazy. Um, you know, when everybody was doing all the, the live streams and all this, that, and the third, but when people think of the name cam, I think that what really pops up is translating what we do in our physical preparation to the field, transfer training, dynamic correspondence, whatever sexy term, we want to get to now. So let's let's start with this, bro. What what uh, what drove you down that rabbit hole? You know, what is the thing that got you to literally put your foot in the ground and change direction from the meatheady stuff that we all loved and we all wanted to get into to start doing this into trying to find the things that would have carry over into the sport of football? Yeah, I think a lot of it began with my personal experience with training. And so when I was in high school and I was training with Joe DeFranco, at the time he was really at the top of the field, you know, the early 2000s and and uh, kind of into the mid 2000s. And, and to this day, obviously, he's still a big name in the industry, uh, but he was he was really heavily at the top of, of sports performance at the time. And, and I think something that Joe has always done really, really well has been his ability to keep things very simple, but very potent at the same time. And so when I trained with him as a high school athlete and I felt the changes that were ensuing in my body and how I then felt when I was on the field, when I went back to playing football while I was in high school. And then when I went into college and, and continued my career there, it was something that really drew me into the field to begin with was that entire experience. I, I said, I, this is something I want to do because I've I've felt how it's impacted my performance and how different I feel when when I'm training with Joe. And I want to be able to do that for, for athletes someday. And I want to be able to give that back. And so 
it's it's something where when I then studied more traditional strength conditioning, because Joe's always he's 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 done a lot that has been could be considered traditional in some respects, but he's also uh, one of the one of the guys that I first came across that was also trying to do things differently. You know, he wasn't just doing Olympic lifts and and a, a lot of the things that everybody was doing. He said, are there better ways to attack the same problem and also help impact the way the athlete feels and the way the athlete performs? And so I was I was really fascinated by his approach of trying to keep things as simple as possible so that it was easier for us as athletes to digest the exercise prescription and then have pretty fast results in terms of how how we were feeling and how we were performing. And so. I think that experience led me into wanting to, to, to do that as well. And so when I started falling into studying more traditional strength conditioning, I was starting to see that there was a lot that was focused on the training itself. And instead of then what the athlete experiences as a result of the training, if that makes sense. And so the athlete experience has always been at the forefront of my mind. And for a while, I kind of went away from that because I thought that I had to do what everybody else was doing in terms of the field of strength conditioning. But then my experience working at DeFranco's in the private sector, specifically working with professional athletes, that gave me very valuable insight into how they think and how they operate. Just having them in a very small group setting and just being able to talk with them and converse with them and get to know them and just asking them basically what what is it that you feel like allows you to do what you do? And so hearing the feedback from them, there's not a lot of them that are like, well, I feel like I need to be doing snatches and cleans and I need to be uh, doing X, Y, Z lifts. And I need to specifically do this. And it, it like all the stuff that we're traditionally brought up to, to study. If we study traditional strength conditioning, it was more about these, these just different simple avenues of, I just feel a little bit better when I'm exposed to some of this stuff, or I feel a little bit better when I'm exposed to some of that, you know? And so that was where I started thinking, okay, it's not just training for the sake of training, but it's training to allow them to experience sport at a high level. And so that's not always going to, it's potentially not always going to line up with where the field is in terms of the hot topics or the hot research that's out right now. And, just what people in isolated, more laboratory settings are coming out with. And so to me, it's always been about how can I, how can I bridge the gap? Not as much from being super specifically married to the principles of dynamic correspondence or something like that, but more about just trying to understand the athlete and what they experience. And then what can we work backward from, from that, not just the game in terms of on paper, literal game dynamics, but the player experience and marry those together and then work backwards from those together. And that gives us an idea of uh, how we might want to start training them. And so it's, it's fairly complicated and complex, but that's been more of where I've tried to take my approach rather than just sticking to the things that are on paper, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, speaking of on paper, if there was only, you know, what maybe like a four or five volume book that was out that people could maybe understand that process a little better you know i wonder if that would be a good thing it'd be hard to write <laughs> well you wrote it you and fergus did <laughs> so oh okay i see where i see where you're going with this 
Yeah, man. I mean, the process, I think, is something that, oddly enough, you know, the, the cliche of the process when it comes to what we're doing is, is sort of overutilized, if you may. No doubt. But understanding yeah. what you and Fergus pen to paper in that, um, I think there is a lot of aha moments throughout those books because it is very simple, but extremely complex in its simplicity. Absolutely. Yeah. So the basic model of Fergus's work is, is pretty simple when you look at it, you know, really just trying to understand everything through four main lenses of physical, psychological, technical, and tactical. And everybody talks about it. I mean, you see it in all the Soviet literature and everybody from, you know, James the Thinker Smith to, to whoever else it's talking about just those four categories. Like, I mean, it's everywhere. And so it's not anything that's new per se, but it's, it's really hard to find practitioners that think in all four of those at the exact same time, all the time, you know, that's something that I think is a little bit rarer to find. And not to say that you have to be a specialist in all of those areas, because that would be an impossible task, you know, to be uh, at the top of your game and physically, and then be a professional psychologist and be a, a, a American football coach and all these things all at the same time. But it's just having the awareness of those four categories and their potential influence that I think then helps the specialist in their specialized area. And so it's almost like generalized thinking and then you have more specialized hands-on work, but the, the being able to think more generally and broad in terms of what those influences might be, I think that was, like you put it, the aha moment for me was when I was reading Fergus's work and, and okay, this is a guy that's worked in just about every professional team sport in the world and he's thinking this way he's applying it in in ways that aren't necessarily traditional and you know a lot of very science-based people don't like his work and so it's and that's okay because people are allowed to have their opinions and 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 all of that but but to me it just it made sense from a from a practicality standpoint in terms of how we should be thinking and now that i'm in a high level collegiate setting I mean, it's every day that these things are being impacted on on the players. And so um, that's something that I think my current boss, Don Sudzinski, and I, we we really connect on that front is that that's how we think. So he's he's very big on that. He's he's very mindful of the technical, tactical side and also how the players are doing psychologically and, and how what we do physically has to fit into that entire holistic picture. And I think that that's that's something that he and I really, really agree on and that we really strive to, to do as best as we can. And we're, we're not, we're, I, I don't want to say we're experts in that because we're never going to get it completely right, but allowing us to allowing ourselves to be mindful of that helps us take a step back and, and think about what's truly necessary to do. What can we cut out? What should we add? And it's all based on everything else that's going on. It's not just us in an isolated weight room with unlimited amounts of time because it just doesn't work that way so yeah i think that's uh that was the main reason why the project with fergus was so attractive to me was to was to learn more about that so for me that was really an educational journey being able to take his work read it study it add some of my experience to it and put those books together that was uh that was really uh, a journey of education for me 
Well, that's awesome, man. And I think that they're, they're must-haves because especially in today's day and age in this world of sport where everybody needs to have a trinket or a piece of tech and some sort of a pivot table to go with it where you're looking at X, Y, or Z trying to figure out whether to go up, down, left, or right. I think that one of the cool things that you said earlier to tie it all together is the conversations that you used to have at DeFranco's with the guys. And those are parts that, in my opinion, we may at times uh, run away from because those conversations, right? Like the, the what's working for you and what isn't are really powerful because the metrics are great. The numbers are great. We can show them these things, but it's to quote one of my best friends who was our hitting coach at Indiana state back in the day, every time it works, it does. And sometimes you don't have a reason or a rhyme for it, but if the player believes in it, then that might necessarily be a better answer. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I really think from the athlete perspective, all they really care about is do I feel pretty good when I step on the field for practice? And do I feel awesome when I step on the field for games? You know, that's all they care about is just being able to physically perform in their respective arena. And so a lot of that goes with not just, you know, feeling like I've gotten faster and stronger and more powerful and all that, but just do I feel good? Does my body not feel beat up? And so that's the challenge is how do we, you know, like the Caldeets quote, he used to say, you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, you know? So how do we, how do we, how do we crack those eggs where we, we kind of break the body down to build it up, you know? And so how do we, how do we find that balance of doing that without breaking the body down too much for the sake of our own egos, you know, because I know, I, I think I need to do X amount of sets or X amount of reps because I read it in the powerlifting manual or an Olympic weightlifting manual or I read this in a paper, so we need to do it exactly the way it was put out in this study. And so I, I just, I don't always think it works that way, you know? And I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the things that we've read as, as coaches in this industry and all of the books that we, we were brought up reading when it comes to strength training and power training and speed training and all of these things, a lot of the stuff that we read, let's just take strength training as an example, right? We take these books that are written for strength training and we tend to take the volumes from there and try to copy them. You know, like if we take uh, starting strength by Ripito or West side barbell book of methods or something like that, we see these, these volumes on paper, we think, okay, that's how much we should do. Right. But a point to think about is that, well, those books and those volumes and those, those prescriptions and those routines, they were written in a context where, they did not have practice that day. They did not do a field-based sprint workout that led into the weight room or some type of team run or something like that. They potentially were not doing plyometrics or jumps or med ball throws or, or any of that leading into that lift. So it's, it becomes about what's the allostatic load of everything we're doing. And then how do I then figure out my volumes from that? And that's, that's something that I'm personally trying to get a better grasp of is can I look at the whole day 
and start to get an idea of, I know that this type of stimulus leads to this type of physiological effect in the body. Well, how much of that stimulus am I getting that day? You know, what? here's a speed stimulus, here's an explosive strength stimulus, a speed strength stimulus, a, a reactive elastic stimulus. Or, so of all these different stimuli, what is happening physiologically? And, and I'm never going to know because I don't think anybody's going to be able to study all of it at the exact same time and just constantly measure the physiology all day, every day of every athlete on team. I mean, it's an impossible task. But just generally speaking, some of these some of these isolated studies that look at each thing independently, we can at least get a kind of an idea of what's happening physiologically. And then we have to look at ourselves and audit ourselves and think, do I really need that in there? Because I just got that over here. You know, uh, do I really need more of this? Because we already did so much of it over here. So I think that's kind of the next step, at least for, for my mindset in terms of, um, you know, like the buzzword of minimum effective dose, but thinking of it from that standpoint of it's not just minimum dose, but minimum effective. It still has to be effective to get what we want out of it. But if we're, I, I just feel like if we're not thinking in that way, then it's, it's one big giant soup of, of who knows what, and we don't always know what's going to happen. And to add another disclaimer or uh, caveat or, or whatever the phrase would be to add another note on top of that, I do think that that might sound like a lot to think about, but at the same time, I'm reminded of the the quote by Hank Krasenhoff or Hank Kreinhoff, the uh, the sprint coach, where he talks about you can wait until you have a fully, completely scientifically valid program. Go ahead and be my guest, but I, I've got my athletes on the track. They got to do something. So, given everything I just said, we still have to do something with them. So, that's where I think the heuristics come into play is our experience and. The rules of thumb and, and the paying attention uh, to me a lot of it is being present just paying attention to what's going on and knowing when we probably shouldn't do this or probably shouldn't do that or maybe we need more of this or do that and so i think that's probably where i've been most impressed by dom my boss is that his his capability to do that by observing practice observing the guys when they're in the dining hall eating just paying attention to body language how observant he is and then how he manipulates our programming as a result of what he observes. And it's not just him by himself. He discusses it with us as, as a staff, you know, so we all kind of come together and we talk about what we're observing, what we're seeing from guys. And then we tend to try to adjust things from there. And to me, that, that intuitively just seems to make a lot more sense than really trying to be married to what was written for the day. So there's a lot of adjustments and a lot of adaptability, a lot of agility involved in the way that we operate here. But to me, I feel like it, it's completely necessary because you just, when you're dealing with complex beings and complex creatures of, of sport, you know, it's just, it, it's really the only way that you can try to keep a lid on things. And uh, in my opinion, at least. So that's, that's kind of how we've been approaching everything. Dude, so much gold in what you just brought up. So much important things that people need to go back and, listen through again just the simple interpretation of minimal effective dose where i think all too often i couldn't agree more where people look too much to the minimal and not enough to the effective to body language and understanding those things and how that can impact what you're doing in a positive and negative way and, and need the need of fluidity throughout everything you're doing it is so valuable 
but to get to those points, Cam, it, it takes a lot of internal reflection. It takes a lot of self-evaluation. It takes probably tripping over your feet and making a mistake or two, you know, throughout your career. Absolutely. And I think that's that's a great lead in, my friend, to the to the first of the big three. So let's let's roll right into these, my man. So if you would for us, discuss with us a mistake you see made in our vocation, strength and conditioning, whether it be in the US or the world. I mean, you know, you're talking about Hank and all those things. So you're you've had the opportunity to work with Fergus. So you have a at least an idea of things going on all over. And how do you feel we could maybe do things differently to correct some of these issues. Yeah, I think it's, it's something I think about all the time. And let me just first say that it's, it starts with self-reflection on myself in ways that I can improve and ways that I've made mistakes in the past. So I'm glad you brought that up about how a lot of the journey to get to some sense of knowledge is completely riddled with mistakes and uh, making improper estimations, doing things, incorrectly you know for anybody who's been in the field at least as long as I have or as long as you have or beyond I mean it's if any of us were to say we never made a mistake it would there couldn't be more of a a lie than that right so I think a big thing is uh, the first big mistake I see is rushing the education and so what I mean by that is what you learn in your undergrad is not is not enough you know and so when you're 22 and you get out and you have a degree in kinesiology, you don't know enough about any of this stuff. And that's just, that's just the reality. That's the experience I had. And, and I thought I knew something at the time, you know, and I, I, I was one of those that I didn't just stick to the education I got from my professors. I, I reached outside of that. That's, that what, that's what led me to the central Virginia sports performance seminar and, and different seminars and books and things like that. But even within all of that, there's no way I really knew what I was doing when I, when I was 22. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. And so I think now a big issue is one of our coaches, when I was at Indiana, he calls it a a microwave generation, you know? So everybody with, with our YouTube and Instagram and trying to find all the fitness facts and things through those platforms, it's a microwave generation needs to happen right now. Like I don't have time to wait for it to broil in the oven or bake or any of that. It's got to, I want to microwave it for 30 seconds, have it ready to go. But I think with the complexity of this, this field and this industry, it's just, it's an impossibility. So I think it's, it's on us as coaches that have been in it a little bit for, for, you know, a number of years at five plus years, I'll say. And and for those who are in a 10 plus years, it's even more important for them. And, and, and they, I think a lot of these coaches do this automatically anyway, is to co- continuously preach to the younger coaches. Just don't rush your education, take time, you know, don't, don't try to be the guy too early, you know, quote unquote. And so that was, that was a mistake that I made was that Joe, when I worked for him, he kind of put me in a situation where, when I was young, I went down to Austin, Texas to try to run some DeFranco stuff down there. And Joe just kind of handed it over to me. And instead of instead of taking it in stride and really trying to just know my role and lean on the people that were around me to help improve and ask questions and all of that, I just put it in my head like, well, Joe gave me this. I guess I'm the guy now. And so that led to a ton of mistakes for me from a, from a leadership standpoint, a management standpoint, a programming standpoint, coaching, 
all of these areas was I was I was just trying to be the guy too soon. And so I think that's probably an issue with some of these things that are posted online, like here are all the head strength coaching salaries throughout the country. And so, you know, there's there's people that come out when they're 22 years old from their undergrad and they and they see these postings and they think, oh, I need to make eight hundred thousand dollars as a strength coach right now. You know, and it's just no, you don't like you need. To, those are the people that have been in it. They've done their time. They've they've developed a knowledge base. They've they have the experience behind what has led them to be in that position. And so I think that's that's the first mistake. And then I think um, another mistake is practicing only what the field tells us to practice. So what I mean by that is, sure, you want to understand best practices. You you probably want to be well-versed in everything the field is talking about. And when I say the field, I mean just the general discussion of the industry. So if we go online or if we go to a seminar, like what, what is everybody seemingly talking about? You know, so it's important to follow those things, be in, be in tune with the hot topic of the moment or the hot series of topics um, or just what has, has always, what has always been done. Like, I think all those things are important to understand and, and you have to be well-versed in all of that. But if you only pay attention to that stuff, I think you're going to lose a sense of being present, like I talked about before. So if all I'm doing is trying to check a box and making sure that I'm doing what the field is doing, rather than paying attention to the problems that are right in front of me, I'm probably going to miss, I'm, I'm probably going to have some kind of disconnect there. And so I think that specifically when it comes to things like sports science, you know, nutrition, uh, obviously strength conditioning, some of these areas of, of measurement and, and tracking data and all of that, yes, I need to have a well-versed understanding of what everybody is doing, what's being done right now, what are the best practices, but I also have to look at what's right in front of me and attack that program, that, that problem right there. And so if I, if I don't do that, I'm going to miss out on so many opportunities to improve my players and my team, you know, as a whole. And so, and probably the people around me, the practitioners around me as well. And so I think, uh, those are probably two big areas that I would say are, are, are that. And then maybe like one, one more, if I was going to add a third one is it kind of ties into what we were talking about before. It's, it's neglecting all the areas around the training. So the mental health of the players, the mental health of, of the, of your coworkers and the coaches around you, what are the aspects associated with developing a healthy team culture? You know, not just winning at all costs where there's no, sense of the people involved right but how can we how can we find ways to perform at the highest level in a healthy way and what and, and develop that culturally and then how can we sustain that you know how do we how do we audit ourselves and go back and look at what we did and how can we be honest with ourselves on this didn't work this worked well it, like just some of these other areas it goes so far beyond just what i'm doing with the barbell as as you know and many that work in, in team sport understand so that's probably another mistake is that people get into this field without thinking that any of that is important. And I think that's, that's where like Brett Bartholomew's work, like where he ended up taking it. I think that's in a very important niche is all the stuff he talks about, because that's, that's a whole part of it that absolutely is vital. But a lot of people tend to ignore is, is the the cultural piece and, and just having a healthy team environment as well. Yeah, man. I... Awesome. Because I think that so much of that, especially if you were to look back or at least me pointing the thumb here, if I'm were to look back at, you know, 2006, 2008 meathead J like 
all of that would have been i mean it's i would have been moving out of the way of that stuff like i was playing dodgeball i mean that was like me too none of that would have had anything to do with any of it so i think those are fantastic everything i just said i wouldn't i wouldn't have been interested in like 10 plus years ago you know it was just tell me how to train the guys <laughs> yeah oh yeah dude like yeah like louis doing what you know i mean like that's what it would have been back then you know like what's oh it, how is defranco changing it with you know west side for skinny bastard it's like oh you know like should, should i use should i use chains should i use bands <laughs> yeah no doubt that's a whole nother rabbit hole but yeah man 100 <laughs> percent. but i think the one that you know you hit the nail on the head was the second one where you're talking or excuse me the first one where you're talking about education mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's one that with since you started let, let's run down that a little bit more because that is the second question when it comes to you know what advice would you give to you know a younger coach or even an older one that that may be setting their ways like the old man at the other end of the phone here right now with you on how they can improve their knowledge you know in the lines of continuing education you know what what direction would you point people in to, to improve how they are professionally? Yeah, I think it starts with similar to what I said before. It don't always don't always research what you're told to research. Do if if you have somebody who's been experienced, whether it's a professor or a coach, and they say you should probably look into this, yeah, definitely look into it, you know. <laughs> but don't only read and research what you're told to research. Read and research things that that spark your interest and your curiosity, you know, because there's, there's tons of stuff out there. I mean, there's ways to tie in books associated with being a CEO of a fortune 500 business that can apply to sport coaching. Right. So it's, it's not just being so literal with the field, but researching things that you, that about which you're genuinely curious, because I think from there you have a budding effect, like things kind of just start to spread out for you. Like you think about one thing, and you research that, that leads to another question. So then you research the next question. And so it's sort of this budding effect that happens and, and it enhances your knowledge base because you become more curious about different things. And it, it can become overwhelming because you realize there's so much to know and that you're never going to be able to know all of it. But I think it can, it, I think it's healthy. You know, I had a master's degree professor uh, when I was doing my master's and he said, it's, it's healthy to frustrate the brain a little bit you know, just sort of allow your brain to think about things and be curious about them and uh, thinking for the, for thinking's sake, you know? And so I think that that's, that's something that, that's a piece of advice I would give is just don't, don't always try to be a follower of what the industry is doing, you know, f certainly follow it, but don't just be a blind follower of it, because I think that that will uh, enable you or, or disable you in terms of not allowing you to scrutinize or question or genuinely think about things from a critical standpoint. So um, that's one thing. I think another thing that I believe helped me is that I was willing to take the risk of reaching out to people. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably afraid to do that. And so taking risks by talking to others, whether it's reaching out to them through social media, through an email, or going up to them at a seminar and talking to them, but but just not being afraid to do that. I think that that's hugely important. And that was something that for whatever reason, I wasn't afraid to do. And I can't tell you why, but 
I think it's because I wanted to know it so bad. I was like, worst case scenario, they're going to be like, I don't want to talk to you or they don't respond to my email or something like that. But I, I, I always took it upon myself to take the risk of reaching out. And I would say nine out of 10 times, I got a response from whoever I was trying to contact. And it led into this, a lot of times this mentorship relationship with that person, or at the very least, a, a, a relationship based on being a colleague with that person. And that that helped me so much in terms of my growth, not just networking and all of that, which it absolutely did help, but the knowledge I, I gained from these people as a result of that network. You know, there's so many people in my phone now, you know, I could text, I texted Joe DeFranco this morning asking him a question about something that I didn't know the answer to. I, I can text Mike Boyle or like just name somebody, right? And it's like these people that I've I've tried to go up to and talk to and develop a, develop a relationship with these people. And so I think that's uh, another good piece of advice for, especially for the young coaches is don't, don't put anybody on a pedestal, you know, like respect them as a practitioner and, and respect their work. But if you want to be a colleague of theirs, then go talk to them, you know, and go try to build a relationship with them. So um, I think lastly, when it comes to just the way the industry is going now is because it's becoming a lot more, academic in nature. I think that's becoming something that is important in the field. And I think that I agree with it. I think it's really important. So sports science is becoming important. And as a result of that, people are interested in, in metrics and data and research and science. And so that's, that's all awesome stuff. So within all of that, I think it's very important to learn how to properly read a scientific paper. So don't just read the intro the discussion and the conclusion, but be able to fully read it and interpret the methods that were utilized and the results and the numbers and, and all of that and see if it makes sense, you know, like be able to actually look at it and determine, is this actually telling me what I, what I think it's telling me? Because a lot of times you'll have a, a, con a conclusion based off the results of a paper and you'll think, okay, I need to use this exercise now. But when you go back and you look at the specific population, or the training age of the subjects used, or the sheer number of them. Maybe there was a small handful of, of uh, athletes utilized in the study. And so you start realizing like, okay, this might've worked in this very specific scenario, but will it work in mine? You know, So that allows you to have some of those questions if you can properly learn how to fully read a scientific paper. And along the, along the lines of that, I guess maybe the last thing would be, uh, if it's financially feasible for you, then consider, getting more degrees. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting the, more of an education. And so um, it's a challenge. You know, right now I'm in the middle of doing a PhD and I've been really fortunate that I'm able to do it with J.B. Marin at his university in France. And that came as a result of me reaching out to him and asking him his advice. Um, and I really don't have time for it, but I'm making the time for it because I think that there's there's value in it in terms of just being able to have that experience of of working directly with him and it's a, it's a lot of work i mean it's i'm not saying it's easy it's really not it's it's not easy at all it's a ton of work but it's going to pay off i think and so it's 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 something to at least consider i'm not saying you have to do that but it's uh it's something worth considering yeah i mean changing your first name to doctor shouldn't be easy <laughs> you know no no it's all about the letters. That's that's why we do it, right? So it's all about the letters. Either the letters before or the letters after, right? <laughs>
but no, I, I think that it's got to be a fun experience at least to, you know, work with JB. He's, um, he's next level, man. Like that's, that's unreal. Well, what I, what I really like about uh, a lot of, a lot of people from overseas that I've, that I've met that are practitioners in the industry, whether they're academics or actual coaches or, or both, you know, is uh, that they've taught me a lot of the stuff I talk about in terms of not rushing the education, just looking at things the way they are, scrutinizing and reading and critically interpreting papers and, and all of that. It, it all came from the influence of, of a lot of those people. And I'm not saying people in the States didn't do that either, but I think that's what's important about thinking globally, right? Like literally thinking globally instead of just sticking to, uh, you know, I could have just stuck with Joe DeFranco my whole career. Anything Joe says, I'm going to do what Joe says, you know, but I realized, uh, and Joe himself told me I shouldn't do that, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it, you, you just never know where the road's going to lead as long as you're open to traveling down some paths that might not be very clear upon taking the first step. A hundred percent, man, you know, because you never know the connection you're going to make. And the, the worst thing that could ever happen is somebody says no, or you trip and you fall and you get back up, man. And I think that that's, that's really valuable, especially in today's society where there's a multitude of different ways people can reach out and, and connect and try to grow. I think that it's, I think having the shortcoming of not reaching out does not remotely come close to the positives that come that can come from reaching out. And it's just something that, you know, people need to do. You know, it's funny when people are like, where do you find your presenters or where do you find the people you have on the podcast or whatever? It's like, dude, 90% of it is either Instagram or Facebook DMs. Like, like just message somebody and talk to them, you know, like mm -hmm. most people like spoiler alert. Most people don't want to be assholes. Like right. as long as you don't ask something that's completely like out of bounds or over the line or, you know, too much people want to help, you know, it's, it's not really rocket science, you know? And admittedly, I need to do a better job of it myself when people reach out to me, um, just because I owe it to those who do because of what everybody did for me, you know? And so it's, uh, it's something that is, is necessary to take the time to do, you know, is just is respond and, and reach out and, and talk, talk with people. And if people reach out to you, respond to them. And so I think we're all just trying to figure it out, you know? And we're trying to figure it out together. And so I think that's that's kind of the beauty in all of it is uh, nobody really, really knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, like I say it kind of jokingly, but kind of not. It's it's we're all just trying to figure it out together. And so uh, I think that's there. there's a there's a good there's a beauty in that, you know, no doubt, man, no doubt about it. But let's get the, the third of the big three here, brother. July 2021, Richmond, Virginia. What can people expect from Cam at the seminar? July 2021. We're going back in time. <laughs> no, gosh, no. July <laughs> 20th and 21st. What can people expect from Cam at the seminar? Oh, uh, yeah, I was confused, but that was pretty good. Yeah, it's, I think, um, really, I'll probably just discuss some topics that are based on the current status of where my mind is 
which is always subject to change. That's always the disclaimer that I give at every presentation is everything I'm about to talk about is where my mind stands at this moment in time. And it might be different if I come back the following year. And so there's probably, there will probably be a little bit of a bias towards speed and power development just because that's, that's what uh, a lot of my work has focused on in the past. And um, a lot of what my work for my PhD is centered around right now. But um, so I'll probably discuss what's happening with the PhD and some of the early preliminary findings. And, and hopefully by then there's at least one paper that's out that we can discuss. And so within all of that though, I just, I, I always like to present authentically and, and honestly, I don't want to put anything up there that I, that we're not doing or that I haven't done. Um, I think that I've, I've, I've done that to some degree in the past where I've tried to, like when I was very first starting to present, I was trying to put things up that would make me seem cool or seem important or um, now I just want to put out what I'm doing to try to uh, be blunt and upfront and so and be open for uh, feedback and criticism from everybody else that would be in attendance and so I think that's that's uh, something else that 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 helps the industry is is uh, being willing to do that you know and so I've seen other people do that and I respect them for doing that and so that's that's my approach as well as I just I'm not gonna it, it, I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything I'm just gonna I'm gonna put it up as it is and and uh you know, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer because I don't know everything. I only know what I've researched and what I've experienced, and that's that's all that I can talk about. So that's uh, basically what I will talk about. And it, you know, the context is going to be team sport because that's that's where I work right now. And so um, I can discuss some of the things through Q and A, maybe of things I've done in the past. But the the context will will be team sport and probably uh, specifically American football. Cause that's, that's really all I have to lean on at this point. That's, that's the only population I work with. So that's what they can expect. <laughs> well, I'm fired up. That's going to be awesome, man. I'm stoked to have you as part of the event. Can't wait to get you back here in Richmond this July and really grateful for your time today, Cam. This has been an absolutely fantastic 45 minutes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. It's always great to have a conversation with you, man. Yeah, man. Truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And as always, thank you for everything y'all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.